Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here in our pre-Halloween podcast. Uh, spent the weekend, put some of my characters up. I, I lit the house up with my 20 LED lights and different things. But I didn't put out any of our like animatronics or anything like that. Well, then Saturday we decided, you know what, I'm going to put out the animatronics. So we put out a limited amount of them and we kind of kept it pretty sane. We stopped at a couple of those spare Halloween shops and grabbed a few of the leftover stuff. We pulled a couple right off the floor. You end up getting like a 15% discount or something when you yank them off the floor. And we got this creepy little girl on a rocking horse. Pretty cool. So uh, in light of Halloween, I'm going to give you my Halloween ghost story. And I'm going to go back to when I grew up. Uh, as I mentioned before with a couple people, I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We actually lived in Stratford, but at times we lived in Bridgeport, Bridgeport and Stratford are like sister cities in a, in a weird way, although Stratford's tiny compared to Bridgeport. So when we were growing up in the 70s, there was this haunting called Lindley Street. And if you're coming up 95 and then you turn over to Route 8 to go north, you'll see the exit for Lindley Street is right there. And we didn't live too far away from that. So in 1974, Lindley Street became world famous for this ghost story in this tiny little house. And it was owned by this Gerard and Laura Gooden. Okay, so um, what had happened, and I'm going to read this. There's a thing called like Connecticut Damned or something like that, The Damned. And I'm going to read you the story because it'll do better. If, if I tell it to you, it's going to sound like, really, Frank, what's going on? What, what do you mean? But I'm going to read you the story. And what makes Lindley Street unique is it went on for a long time. Drew crowds, had all these things going on. People would go there to see what was happening because it was a physical poltergeist type of haunting where stuff happened. Well, they brought in the police department and the fire department. So here's here's the Lindley Street story. So in November 74, Lindley Street in Bridgeport became the epicenter for one of the most documented hauntings in Connecticut history. A small bungalow-style home owned by... Uh, Gerard and Laura Gooden as reported to be under attack by otherworldly forces that were allegedly responsible for moving furniture, breaking windows, levitating objects, and making a cat talk. Yes, the cat talked. Um, you know, and generally perplex per perplexing and terrifying everyone who stepped foot in the house. Now, the situation uh, seemingly increased in intensity. Police and firefighters were called in, as were news reporters, priests, paranormal investigators, as I had mentioned before, um, if you ever saw The Conjurings, The Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren, well, they lived the town over from me. They lived in Monroe. And when I was in high school and just before intermediate school and high school, we moved from Stratford to Shelton. Shelton's right next to Monroe. Stratford is not too far either. So they used to do these slideshows back in the day. These were ghost hunters, Ed and Lorraine, before there was ghost hunting. And they used to do slideshow presentations like twice a year at our school. They do a Halloween one, and then they would do an end-of-the-year assembly, and it would be like Ed and Lorraine Warren because they were so close. And they would do that at Shelton High. They would do it all over the place. So they'd come to our school when I was at the intermediate school and different things like that. So uh, thousands used to gather in the streets and try to catch a glimpse of what was them. Now, what made, now I'm going to go back to reading, what made this case so compelling and drew so much attention compared to other hauntings, and they put hauntings in quotes, was the high number of reputedly reliable witnesses who reported experiencing the unusual activities firsthand. 
Beyond the Goodens and their friends, more than two dozen firefighters and police officers and others investigators were on the scene to all sorts of bizarre happenings, including the couches and chairs spontaneously moving across the floor, tables and refrigerators levitating, paintings and crucifixes falling off the wall, even knives flying through the air. They also recounted hearing uh, a range of audio phenomenon from inexplicable knocks and bangings to disembodied voices. Sam, the family cat, family cat, Sam, was alleged to have said a number of things, including jingle bells and bye-bye, while the decorative swans in the front yards were also accused of making unearthly sounds. So the majority of the weird activity seemed to center around the Goodens' 10-year-old adopted daughter, Marsha, uh, which is typical for many classic poltergeist hauntings. Witnesses reported that although many of the odd happening Uh, Odd events happening when the young girl was around, a large number also occurred when she was either in another room or not even in the house. Um, They'll get to this in a second, but Marsha was adopted from Canada. She was um, like uh, Inuit or some Eskimo or something like that. They'll talk about it, whatever it is. But supposedly her grandfather was a shaman and the Goodwins adopted her from Canada, brought her down in that displacement in the whole thing. And they said the grandfather was doing it. So, um... Although events came to a head in 74, odd things had been happening since the Goodwins adopted Marsha in 68. Increasing in frequency and intensity in 71, a year later was the first time the family officially called authorities, initially to help find the source of a rhythmic pounding they heard at the house at night. After that, the unusual events started happening, doors opening and closing, items being found in random places throughout the house. The family repeatedly called the police to search for causes. Okay, so activity reached peak in November 74. By that time, the number of investigators, including the Warrens and members of the American Society for Paranormal... Psych... Psych... Yeah, that's spelled wrong. Um, It it should be paranormal research, but it's spelled wrong. And the uh, Psychic Research Foundation, in addition to police, had stalked out the house... Or staked out the house. Um, They conducted interviews with family members, including Marsha. They detailed members of the uh, inexplicable happenings. In addition to the activities, TVs were tipping over, dressers were moving around, window shades were going up and down, wall shelves were uh, pulling out of the wall without any provocation. The Goodwins, who claimed to not believe in paranormal, were increasingly stressed and vexed by it. Meanwhile, the local and national press of the case had large crowds. Uh, This was like Sunday afternoon. Hey, let's go by Lindley Street and see what's going on because there was big crowds on the weekends. Um, the situation seemed to be getting more intense. A few weeks into the investigation, a police officer witnessed the young girl Marsha attempting to tip over a TV with her foot when she thought no one was watching. Being caught in the act, she soon confessed that she was responsible for all the activity in the house and explained how she had done it all. The events were soon declared a hoax by the relieved police who ended the official investigation. Although questions remain of how Marsha had been able to perpetrate some of the witnessed events when she wasn't in the house as well as in another room. A majority of the investigators, press, and curious crowds soon went away. Interesting, even though Marsha had admitted to being the cause of the events and apologized for her role in it, strange hap- happenings purportedly continued for weeks, uh, you know. So more than 40 years later, what happened at Lindley House is still disputed. Some say it was all a hoax by the young girl. Others said that they were allegedly saw unusual things happening when she wasn't even there. And, you know, she couldn't have faked it. One thing for sure, it's the most famous haunting in Connecticut history. Um, 
you know, so there, there's all this stuff. It, it, it's it's actually a really cool kind of story, and there's books written about it. Like I said, the Warrens were there. It, it was it was pretty darn famous. Um, you know, the world's most haunted house, the true story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist. There's all these different stuff happening and everything. Um, but but Lindley Street was, was kick ass famous. And and that's my my ghost story, Lindley Street and the ghost. They they move the refrigerator, flip stuff. The cat talking was the best though. Imagine going there and the cat was talking to you. But go uh go check out Lindley Street in Bridgeport. Go Google it every now and then, and and, and you'll dig it. It's pretty funny if you're into the Halloween kind of stuff. All the cool movies are on, and and you know. Um, also want to catch up with a couple things. I talked to Mark Taylor this week. We're already at like ninety five shooters. And we're only going to be around one, maybe 140, 150 because we do have some private classes going on up in Alaska. If you are interested in taking a class in Alaska, get a hold of Mark Taylor at Wiggy's Alaska. They're filling up fast. And, and normally they don't get this full or anywhere near this until like January or March. We're in October and we're a little over halfway full. Okay. So, um, with the private classes coming up as well, the LE, the different things we're doing, we're, we're not going to be open to as many kind of random students as we usually do. So Wiggy, Alaska, Mark Taylor, it's Alaskan precision rifle course at gmail.com. If you are interested in taking that course let us know now. Now, I haven't sorted out the Colorado stuff yet. I still have to do a few things down here with Mile High. I got I to gotta get together with them a little bit more. It's been sort of hit and run doing the Blue Steel Ranch and the different things. I haven't had a chance to actually sit down with any of them. When I was in the office the other day uh, to pick up some stuff, I had my uh, Leviathan suppressors cleared. Uh, I haven't done the video. I'm catching up on all my videos now. The Leviathans are really, really good. Now, with the way the, 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 the end cap is in sort of that crink look to it, crink suppressor or, or muzzle brake from the ARs, from the Nevesky and all that, you get a little bit of a crink effect. And so I know a big advertising thing on the Leviathans is it reduces recoil. I haven't really felt that part of it as much, but at the same time, it's a very good, not expensive precision rifle suppressor. 30 cal direct mount. There's a 6-inch. There's a 9-inch. Um, you know, I'm having excellent success. I shot them throughout the summer. I am going to do a wrap-up review. But the Leviathans are really good. And I know we just got put in a few magazines. So if you're out and you see Leviathan in the magazines, yep, they got my stamp of approval. I, I'm, I'm a fan and I'm using them to very good success along with, you guys saw the video with me with the Sully. The Sully Arm Suppressor is another under-the-radar suppressor that does an excellent job for not a lot of money. Uh, direct mount, I'm, I'm a big fan of the direct mounts for these suppressors. Um, do I have an issue with muzzle brakes? No, what an asterisk. They're not all created equal. Some muzzle brakes are better than others. So you, you almost have to be careful. We find the muzzle brakes on suppressors can be the weak link. Okay, they can be the weak link. So going direct thread eliminates a variable. A lot of guys want to eliminate these variables, don't want to keep adding to the system to points of issues. 
So uh, think about that. The other thing that I want to talk about is I want to jump back to the 224 stuff. I put that first video up. Um, great response on it. A lot of questions. Number one, right off the bat, and like I said, I'm going to talk with Brian uh, Whalen about this. He's coming probably this week down here or up here. He's down south. I'm up north. He's going to probably come up here, and we're going to work on it. But a couple things more generic, not necessarily specific, but more generic observations. Number one, the Hornaday ammo is excellent. 88 grain works really good. No issues. The 75 grain I've been talking about, the American Eagle, is as well equally good. Super cheap. Guys are reporting you can get American Eagle 75 grain 224 Valkyrie for $8 a box. That's pennies, man. You can use that to reload, you know, the brass, the whole thing. It's it's well worth it. Now, twist straight, twist straight, twist straight with the Valkyrie. The problem with the 90s was not the twist rate. They work fine. The problem was the load. There is some stuff with the bullet, but I, I, I think it was more chamber and load. Okay, we know, number one, not all rifles and barrels are created equal. If you're doing a Lego gun, if you're doing the Savage, if you're whatever, yes, they have issues. A lot of it was to the chamber. Okay, the chamber specs weren't thought out right. There was some issues with chambers. Okay, the 90 grain load was retuned. We know this for a fact. It was pulled. It was retuned. It's back out on the street. It's working well. It's half minute or better if you know how to shoot your rifle. Okay, a lot of these guys are shooting semi-autos. Not everybody knows how to shoot a semi-auto well. Uh, yeah, I get it. You, you you shoot what you think is little tiny bug holes at 50 yards with your 223. That doesn't always translate to success out at distance. When guys are shooting 223, 100 yards and in, and saying that they shoot so well, well, we, we prove this in class all the time. Guys can shoot a half-minute group at 100 yards, take them to two, and they shoot a one-and-a-half group. Okay, it's not linear. Just because you shoot a half-minute or better at 100 with one thing doesn't mean you're going to do it at 200. Okay? They're, they're variables. Craddock seems to be doing well. JP, we know, is doing fantastic. Those two, we know, are fact. Now, whatever Reamer Mile High was using for the bolt gun that Brian's shooting works well. We are going to address accuracy for video inside a 1,000 yards. We're going to do an 800. We're going to do some others. So you can see sort of that inherent not, you know, on steel, accuracy, that kind of thing. We'll, we'll put something together so you could see it. But the way it is right now, it, it took some time to fine-tune. And I know these guys are all putting down on the Valkyrie. It's, 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 it's 6.5 Creedmoor Part 2, okay? We're seeing the same complaints, the same bullshit, the same crap that everybody complained about with the 6.5 Creedmoor we're seeing with the Valkyrie. Is the Valkyrie a 6.5 Creedmoor replacement? No. No, it's not. Nobody's suggesting it's a replacement. It's an option. These are options. These are good options for higher round count, low recoil, good to the 1,200, 1,300-yard capabilities of this. Now, after 600, 
800 yards, depending on the conditions, you will have to be on your game with wind. The wind kicks the 22 bullets ass after that 7-800 yard zone, okay? I find the 75 grain is great to 600. After that, it falls apart in the wind. You have to be on top of it. Elevation's fine. Wind is off. When I shot the 88 grain stuff, same thing. I'm, I'm When I shot Guardian, okay? Guardian had about a six mile an hour wind going on, okay? He, he, please listen to what I'm saying. Stop asking me about twist rates. The one in seven is fine. The one in seven works no problem. It's not the issue. So the win. I'm edge of plate, edge of plate, edge of plate. We had a 650 yard shot. I'm edge of plate and I hit. The next shot was 789. Okay. Almost 200 yard jump between the 650 or 140, you give or take. You know what I mean? 650, edge of plate. 789, I had to use a mil and a half. That big of a difference at that crossing. It's almost like the images of the 168 hitting the invisible wall and hitting the ground. Bullet goes up, flies, hits the invisible wall, and drops and hits the ground. Think of that invisible wall as a wind issue. It's a 22 caliber bullet. It's 88 grains. It's light as shit. It's going moderately fast not over 3,000, under, you know, 29 and under, right around there, the wind affects it after that six, 700 yards, okay? That's the downside of it. The upside is doesn't recoil, doesn't get nearly as hot as some of these larger calibers with more powder. It's got a huge round count, okay? We're giving it a round count, a barrel life. We're giving barrel life a 6,000 rounds, Jim Gilliland came on and posted in the in the hate-filled diatribes of everybody who hasn't shot it or shot it twice, you know. Why well, shot a mag? I know better. Yeah, okay, dude. Um, you know, he's got 5,000 rounds through his right now, and he's still sub half minute. 5,000 rounds, sub half minute. He's got 12,000 rounds total with the platform. He says it's viable. I say it's viable. Brian says it's viable. Everybody else is all like, and, and, and what's funny and cracks me up is these guys who hate on it are the same guys who are telling people that no matter what they're, and I saw it today, or yeah, today, that they need to A, actually improve everything. Somebody was asking about 300 Norma and the same douchebags that are saying, you know, that, that the um the Valkyrie shit, it's a fad, don't use it, don't waste your time, are telling people they need to actually improve a 300 Norma. Where do these guys come from? What do they, they want to wildcat everything, they want to improve, they want to burn your barrels out in record speed to get 800 rounds performance out of something. You don't need to be constantly actually improving stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Brian mentioned to me when we were out there, he wants to act Leah 224, get that little extra out of it. Okay, cool. But he wants to kind of play with it, and he's a, he's a reloader, and he does all this. But for guys who you don't know their background and you know history, I mean, you, you, you look at these dudes putting it down, putting it down, putting it down. It's some of the same guys who chased the 6'5", 55 Swede, Ackley improved. 
They were running around for a season shooting that caliber, you know, saying, oh, 6.5 addiction, it's so great. Oh, it's awesome. I have it on video. You know what I mean? Oh, how wonderful it is. This is the next best thing. You know, cheap, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. Use a medium action. Now we put them in a small frame in a thing and they're, no, 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 I don't get it. No, it's a problem looking for a solution. Well, gee, isn't everything? You know what I mean? It, 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 it's like, it's options for people. You can bring your kids up and going quicker. You can do all these things with that 224 Valkyrie and it doesn't necessarily handicap you. You know what I mean? It depends on the situation. Don't get me wrong, but you're not at such a wide disadvantage that you have to sweat it. Okay. I think it's viable. I think it, it, it it's something that can be worked in the big horn actions. You know what I mean? Do a big horn switch lug, yada, yada, boom, bolt head change that you could do that. And, and, and I really want to push the point that Brian brought up. The more you can practice with your specific given rifle, the better you'll be. If your round count is 2,500 rounds or less, guys are getting 18s out of those BRs and 6 millimeters and stuff. And, and please don't tell me they're not. They are all day long. Guys are losing them at 1,800 and all this other stuff. But if you're 2,500 rounds or less because you're hot rod and stuff or you're doing over, you can't get a lot of practice. You're going to be switching off. You're going to be doing stuff because you're going to want to save that barrel. Yes, barrels are tires. Barrels are replaceable. But not everybody wants to go out and buy that many barrels right off the bat. A rifle with six to 8,000 rounds, that can be competitive. And competitive is a, a good word for it. It can be competitive. Is it going to move you to the next level? No, but it'll keep you within the capabilities, you know, within your own personal uh, accuracy standards. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not going to handicap you. Yeah, if you go to a match that has a good number of shots past 800 yards, you might see it. But when the majority of matches are averaging 400 yards, you're not going to see it. Jim brought up the thing where, say you want to be a monthly match shooter. One day, monthly match. This is a rock star for that. This is a great caliber for those local club matches. And believe me, you'll do well with it. We've been proving how many... Go back and listen to these podcasts. Go back and listen to Mike. Go back and listen to Adam. Go back and listen to myself. How many times have we shot two two threes at our local monthly match? Or the Valkyrie. Or those different things, 16-inch 308s, all those, all these sort of less-than-competitive cartridges we're shooting in the monthly match here at Pawnee. And our monthly match goes to 1,250 yards. And Mike, myself, and Adam are top-tenning these events. Believe me when I say I barely try. I'm lucky to shoot every stage when I go to a, my monthly match, and I'm still top tenning with these sub-powered calibers. Okay, that's that's kind of where we're at, and 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 I want people to understand 
It's an option. It's the tool for the toolbox. It's another variation on what we're already doing. Do I think the 6.5 Creedmoor is a better choice for a lot of people? Yes, I do. But it's not the perfect choice for everybody. Or maybe they have that, but they want something else they can shoot a little bit more that's pretty similar that they can work with. Okay, there's another choice. They don't, maybe they don't want to go 308 because, like I said, inside six, it has a much similar ballistics to the the six fives but then past six it's like a 308 you know what i mean so you're kind of working both sides of that same coin it, it it's it's it has its place recognize where you fall into that location and which direction you want to go i mean it's got a different bolt face we get that's that six eight spc and all that stuff it, it it's it's a slightly different bolt face but we're seeing it working in mags. We're doing all that stuff. We did the bolt action. Uh, Brian had it in the chassis and the whole thing. I liked that even though we had a thin barrel that was like a light palma or something like that with that 26-inch palma of, of barrel he's running, it didn't get overly hot. Heat's a killer. The fact that this does not run a lot of powder and doesn't get hot and we're still in that 2850... Brian was running like 2880, 2860. If you're in 2850, and believe me, 2850 is a sweet spot for a lot of stuff. 2850, that's a good zone, okay? The 75 is 29 and change. You could do an 80 grain load and be in that 29 and change. A good 80 grain bullet will get you there if you're hand loading, Okay. The, the, the 88 and the 90 factories are, are right around 2785, right 2775 for the factory ammo. Little bit slow, but you can get the brass. You could start learning it. The wind drift's going to be pretty similar until you get past that 800. It, it, it's a good option to throw a bag of factory or a box of factory in there and working with it. Okay. We the re, the results spoke for themselves. We got it all on video. We went and shot the stages, and Brian did well. I really, really do, you know, don't get. I guess I should say I don't get the hater aid, but I do. I don't understand where these same people who promote, you know, it's like six bra, brx, or you know, how many variants of six br in the dasher are there? Why do you got to go through that much effort and money? for no barrel life, to eat that little bit out. Okay, if you're a top 10 guy, I get it. You got to work within what the other top 10 guys are doing. And, and, you know, I know that it's that. They were saying, you know, with our matrix, our, our caliber matrix, it's biased. Of course it's biased. We said it was. It's for us. It's It's meant to be specific to your needs and uses. Everything's biased. I mean, they're uh, they're a little biased matrix. Their their matrix is biased. I'm like, yeah, but that was what we said in the beginning. I said right up front, load stability is not something I worry about. I'm shooting factory ammo. I want load availability. That's a bias. You know what? What do I think the wind? I like six fives over to six millimeter. When I, I have the six millimeter Creedmoor, a couple of them. I have them for my AI barrel. I have the game gun from Gap. I have the left hand gain twist one. The whole thing. I don't like the wind past a thousand yards with it. I find I'm using less wind with my six five Creeds and stuff. 
I'm not as big a fan of the six millimeter and I have it. Okay, I like I can get six millimeter Creedmoor in a store and out of the box, so I can't go that way. If I know I'm going to go somewhere, like in Alaska, if I was going to shoot the match in Alaska and I use my six Creedmoor, it would rock there. There's no wind. It's in these lanes in the woods. It's light recoiling. It's all these things that I want. I can succeed really well up there with a six millimeter Creedmoor gas gun, but I could do the same thing with the Valkyrie for less money. That's that's my point, okay? Yes, there's options. Yes, there's bias. We all have them. What's important to you? This is why you do the matrix for you. It's it's it, it, like I, I, I've mentioned before. I mentioned last. Why do you care what my favorite color is? Pick your own, okay? I like one color. You like another. Given. So there's going to be biases that way. When we walk on a car lot, Look at all the options. Look at all the colors for the same damn car. There's a bias there. Okay. Somebody wants this. Somebody wants that. Somebody wants a heated seat. Somebody does. That's all it is. But to immediately slam stuff and put it down. uh, He's biased. Well, I'm biased to my use. But I'm still giving you an objective. If the gun freaking fell apart, I'm still going to tell you it didn't work past this. Don't even waste your time. Don't even go near there because it don't work once you cross this line. But we had about a 50% hit rate. I'm going back through all this video and I'm watching these these clips. We averaged 50% hit rate at ELR ranges. It's like, hello? With a small frame AR? With a little bolt gun? Yeah, the bolt gun shot better. It was a four-inch longer barrel. It, it's a little steadier platform. You know what I mean? It, it, it is what it is. But there's biases for all of this stuff. We all have a bias. Don't chase the other guy just because the other guy's using it. I'm not telling you to use it because I'm using it. I'm telling you to look at my results under the given context and decide for yourself. I'm telling you in that caliber matrix to put your most important headings up there and give it the weight and how you see it, okay? I changed some of them numbers. We went back and re-looked at that. I didn't go with that. I mean, the video was shot before I went back and sort of revisited it but because we wanted a debate. We wanted the discussion. You know, we wanted it to be something that made you think that gave you another way of skinning the same cat. That's all we're talking about. That's all we're looking at. Uh, we all know, you know, f- the number four, two plus two, one plus three, zero plus four, five minus one, six minus two, you know, zero plus four. All these different things we know gives us the number four. That's all it is, man. We're just, I'm just laying it out there so you don't have to trial and error. You can say... Well, they did this, they paid this, they did that, this is what they got, and here were their results. Now, you don't have to do it twice. Okay? It's easy. You listen, you decide for yourself. You guys are smart enough. You know. You don't need somebody who, who who's playing in a different game to tell, no, I don't get it. No, it's a solution looking for a problem. Well, they all are. We already had the 260. Why do we need a 6.5 Creed? 
Oh, well, they made it a little smaller. Okay, well, they made that. Why do we need the 647? 6547. 6547, 260, 65 Creedmoor. Hello? They're nearly identical. You know, 25 feet per second here or there. Why do we need three? Well, there's efficiency issues. There's choice issues. There's availability. There's factory ammo. There, you know, all those different things. You know, it, 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 it is what it is. And, and, and to, to, to immediately, you know, like I said, the internet's been unkind to the 224 Valkyrie in much the same way they were unkind to the 6.5 Creedmoor. Whenever you look at the arguments against the Valkyrie, look at the same arguments that were made against the Creedmoor. Look where we are today with the Creedmoor versus where we were when it came out. All I'm asking, because I really do think it's viable. I'd much rather go sort of that direction than a two-two-three if I want to play this beyond 600 round game out of the same thing. Yeah, I'd rather use the two-two-three inside 400, but then, you know, guys are Ackley-ing them. And we're seeing the 80 grain Ackley improve, 29.50, right in that 29 zone. Well, you can do that without Ackley improving. Factory ammo. Less effort. Not chasing brass. Holy cow. It's an option. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, and honestly, I'm trying not to hype it. I don't want it to get to be overhyped. I just don't like the overly aggressive, uh, you know, attacks on it. Because put it to you this way. If you got less than 200 rounds through it, where you really paid attention, you doped the rifle, you did everything you would normally do as if you owned it, you really shouldn't be commenting to that degree. Yeah, you can go anecdotal. This didn't work. This is that. Well, that's early early adopter stuff. Okay, we get it. There's always going to be an early adopter thing. You know what I mean? It, it, there, there, there's, there's that element of early adoption. I get it. I tend to early adopt because I have to be able to speak Technically on it, you know, I have to be able to speak coherently on it. I have to be able to tell you what's going on and you want to know from me as soon as possible. So that early adoption works in my favor. But then you start looking at these Lego guns that don't work. You start looking at all these different things and you go, what the heck? I mean, look at the, look at the 260 stuff with the Seekins now and the military and all those things going on. And those guys are grabbing towards that stuff. Okay. The, the, the AR platform. How long did that take to move into that direction where it gets accepted? It's there now. It's being used. Same thing with the Creedmoor. Same thing with the Norma. And they don't have to ackley them. They don't have to play around with them and tweak them. Can you? Of course you can. But why? I'm my 25-inch 300 Norma, and it's five years old now, goes, I just got the new load from Andrew McCourt, Twenty nine ninety. Out of a 230 grain burger, out of a 25 inch barrel, do I really need to ackley that? Yeah, it's a hot load. It's a bit on the stout side. Before that, I was 2960 with a pretty mellow load. 2960. I've shot it to 2,500 yards. Do I need to ackley it? 
And yet I'm reading these guys telling everybody to ackley everything, that these things are a waste of time. And well, why go through all that extra effort for 25, 40 feet per second more in that case? I can see where you might want to squeeze that extra out. And I've seen guys with good success in the 260, but it knocks the barrel life down quite a bit. My, I got rid of my ackley. I had a 260 ackley, got rid of it. It's a straight 260 now. I didn't see the benefit. Uh, yeah, it gave me 40 feet per second more. I can, I can live with that less. You know, it's, it didn't put me into another time zone. I can actually go down a little with the bullet weight and bring that number up. You know what I mean? I could play it that way without having to go to the Ackley route. And that's kind of my point. If you're, if you're into Ackleying and you're reloader, more power to you, man. I know it makes the shoulders a little bit more efficient for you and you squeeze that little extra, but it's not always necessary. And, and there, there's, there's something to be said for quality factory ammo. Up next with the Valkyrie is I'm going to post the, um, the one mile video stuff. So we shot it to, I, I couldn't find, I only had part of the, two, the 2000 yard one. I, I don't think I got what I needed video wise. I may have not did it my first run. Um, and then I did it with factory ammo. I did it the first time. I only shot nine rounds of the hand loads. That's when I got my 2000 yard hit. Then I went to the factory box ammo and I tried it one, one mag worth and it didn't work. I only had that on video. So it's almost like I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen and didn't turn the camera on. I know I was filling cards up, so I'm going to be bummed if I don't have it. I know I had Brian shooting it. I, I had me shooting the others, but I don't think I caught it on video when I did get my one hit, which I'm, I'm a little, but I did get my, my multiple hits at a mile. That was totally caught on video and, and it was successful, man. It was, it was decent to go over 50% with the um, the Valkyrie at a mile. And it was more than a mile, 1785, 1780, 85, somewhere right in there. Cool. Speaking of ranges, I got the um, Nukon Optics stuff in. Nukon's out of Canada. Um, they revamped their line. Be- years ago, everybody was into the Nukon. Um, you know what I mean? It was, it was, the new cons were all over the place. They were pretty well known, but big, heavy laser. They're kind of like Russian lasers in a Canadian wrapper, you know? And so they were bigger. Well, new cons kind of refined it. They're coming back out into the market. I have the spotting scope with the laser here. I have the small handheld laser range finder, which has a 3,500 meter, uh, spec on it. And so we'll test that out and see what it's like. It's half the price of a Vectronics. So the 3,500 meter small handheld laser is like four grand retail. Okay. And then I got one of their um, aiming, um, their sort of like their, their designators as well to play with. But um, Nukon's just got everything showed up here. I'm going to be playing with that. Now, I'm going to finalize the Vectronic stuff. I will say when I was shooting in the mist the other day, we were out and it was misting rain. And we noticed a lot of the lasers were, were hitting at 48 yards. They were all catching that rain right at 48 yards and giving you a 48-yard reading. The Vectronics wasn't doing that. Uh, I've been really... So since May and now, we're going six months straight with the Vectronics. I've taken the Vectronic Terrapin X on every 
flight I've taken. I've taken it everywhere I've gone, uh, except for the Precision Rifle Expo. The only place I didn't take it. Didn't bring, didn't need it. So anyway, I've taken it everywhere. It works. It works well. It connects well. I only had the two errors that I couldn't recreate. Uh, where it changed that negative 65 degree in the inclination. Um, those were the, it happened twice. Once in the match in Colville, once up on the range in Alaska. And I think what it is, is I hit the button fast as soon as I saw the range while it was linking to the Kestrel only is when this happened. As I came down with it, it's not completing the, 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 the handshake and it's putting this negative 65 in there. If you let it complete the handshake, it doesn't seem like it's the issue. And like I said, I've had a really, really tough time trying to recreate it. I've only seen it happen two times out of thousands. I've gone through three, four batteries easily, bet and push-wise. And uh, when I travel, I take the batteries out now because there's nothing to protect the button. Um, they're, they're, the buttons uh, uh, it can be hit quite easily um, in baggage and stuff like that in your packs. So I'm taking the battery out when I travel. Become seems to be the better way to 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 do business, and so um, you know, that's something with the with the terrapin. Uh, I hopefully they're gonna start connecting to more devices. The Kestrel and the app. The app is really good. I like I can link to the app and I can manipulate these settings on it without having to memorize the button pushes. So all you really need to know is your connection button pushes, which is four hits, then scroll through app or Kestrel, then four hits to confirm, and you're locked in. From there, you can use the app. Go through, talk to the device, tell it what you need to do, and it instantly updates it, and everything's good. So um, look for the Terrapin X thing to come out. Um, looks, look for the stuff on the Nucon. The the Valkyrie, well, I'm going to sit down and talk to Brian. I'm, I'm going to let you get his side of it. But... Understand, yeah, when it first came out, there, 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 there was a not quite ready for prime time part of that. They've gone pay on that now or beyond it. They're past that. Go surreal. I don't care what anybody says. They're out there. There's some things with energy. We're made up of electricity, dude. And so there's static electricity charge. That's us. And those are the ghosts. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So there we go. But, um, Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you guys have a safe and happy Halloween and fun. I'm going to get together w- with Brian. I'm going to get together with Mike. Uh, we're we're going to put all this together. Mike's on a, on a, on a rampage. There, there is some stuff that happened that, I, like I said, I'm not bringing up. Mike's on a bit of a rampage. It's going to be pretty funny when he comes back. He's, he's in rare form. Fuzz is itching. Somebody said, drink. Drink, Fuzz is itching. He, he popped it. We came home. We had to go out last night. He came, we came home. He 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 must have did something, and he he punctured on one side of his mouth like he has like a fang puncture, and he was doing this like thing with his tongue, and I'm like, what the heck is he doing? He kept doing it, kept doing it. So I thought maybe because I drag goat heads all around, and and he's been itchy like this and stuff. So I'm like, well, what the heck did he try to clean? Because he had like sap from our tree in the front yard. We have a big pine tree, and he had some sap on his paw, and I thought, well, he was cleaning his paw off. Maybe he's got some sap on his tongue. I don't know what it was, but then it come to find out he had a puncture in there and it was bleeding a little bit and he was kind of like licking up the blood and I'm like, oh man, he's going to be all crazy and stuff. So he's kind of puffed up and he he was not happy. He's like, I hate it. I got a hole in my mouth. 
So he 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 was not a, he was not pleased with with what was going on with that. But um, yeah, his ears are right. We got to get him his shot. We haven't we 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 do these booster steroid shots for him, and so he's got to go get a booster steroid shot. So he's not nearly as itchy as he's been. But I felt bad. He was all he had like a little. He's a little swollen on the one side of his mouth. He's got that puncture. He's all all sad. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um. Thanks for the uh, the posts. Thanks for the comments. The comments have been awesome. Basher. Basher won the bag. Sniper's Hide uh, member Basher is getting the Warhorse Saracen bag. Thanks, everybody, who put their... Why they like the Precision... Or the... Yeah, the Precision... Blah, why they like the Everyday Sniper podcast. Thank you, guys. There was some funny stuff in there, some really good stuff, but I awarded that to Basher. Um, Warhorse Development is getting with him, and they're going to uh, take care of that. We'll do another giveaway, and like I said, that we're ending the last bit, so you're into the final couple days. If you want any nylon from Mile High at a discount, um, there's that Combine 2018 discount. It's good to the 31st, so if you need to use that, um, and we'll do some more. I also, uh, I got I got, a, oh, I got a good deal for you guys on the training side of things, even on the rifle side. I got a starter rifle coming. You guys are going to dig it, Okay. Spec for me, starter rifle for you, sub two grand, 6.5 Creed, 308. This is what to get you going. Rather than say buy the Ruger, buy the Bagara, buy this, we're going to say buy the Sniper's Hide Edition. It'll work for you, man. You'll be into it. All right, guys. Thanks a lot.